What's going on, guys? Welcome to today's interview. Thank you for joining us. Were you going to say welcome to I Do Podcast? <laughs> I was, but I'm switching it up. And we changed the name. I wanted, I wanted to tell our listeners officially. Oh, we did. Yeah, in iTunes. Oh, we did, but it's never. It was never I Do Podcast in iTunes. We changed that a while ago. You're a little late. You're a little late to the game. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's like the Relationship Advice Podcast now. Yes, that's what yeah. it is in iTunes. Cool. That's why you found us. <laughs> so welcome to the Relationship Advice Podcast. Yes. For those of you that don't know, five years ago, it started as I Do Podcast. And then Sarah and I decided we didn't love the name but we also had the URL, idopodcast.com. All the tech stuff was tied to that. And uh, rather than change all that, we just changed it on iTunes. And this is the official, unofficial announcement <laughs> <laughs> that's a year late, uh, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So welcome to the Relationship Advice Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We have a great show for you where we welcome Dr. David Ludden. He is a professor of psychology at Georgia Gwinnett College and author of the blog Talking Apes on Psychology Today. And today we talk about how couples can negotiate the frequency of sex. Uh, this can be a tricky topic. So Dr. Ludden gives us a lot of great tools, a little bit about the research behind our sexuality, cultural implications, and then we finish off with interesting discussion on the evolution of human sexuality, which I want to do uh, a full dedicated mm, show on. Yeah. It would be really cool. It's super interesting. So as always, thank you guys for tuning in, uh, leaving us reviews on iTunes, telling your friends and family. We appreciate you guys for listening. Enjoy today's show. Today's show is brought to you by our online course, Spark My Relationship. Create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner in less than 90 days. We've collaborated with 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies marriage therapists teach their clients. To unlock a special offer only for I Do Podcast listeners, visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. That's sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. Hi, Dr. Ludden. Thank you so much for joining us back on the show. It's good to be here again. Thank you. Today, we are going to talk about a hotly contested subject, I'm sure, for a lot of our listeners out there. I know Sarah and I have dealt with this, and that is how we can negotiate the frequency of sex in our relationships. So where is the best place to start on this uh, hot topic? Uh, well, in, in my blog, I was reporting on an article that was uh, published by a group of uh, Nor Norwegian uh, psychologists who were uh, working with uh, people who are in committed relationships. And uh, they were looking at things such as uh, relationship satisfaction, uh, ideal frequency of sex, um, actual frequency of sex, 
so what they what they found in these is uh, first of all some of the from some of the findings were probably not surprising for the most part it was the men who wanted more sex than the women that's probably not surprising but also what they found in their particular group was that it was generally the women who were determining the frequency of sex so the men the men were basically uh, acquiescing to the to the level of of uh frequency that their that their partners wanted uh and the and the uh and the the uh, researchers were uh, kind of came to the conclusion that this was a Norwegian sample, um, you know, uh, uh, highly intelligent, you know, mainly generally well, uh, very intelligent, well educated uh, couples living in a, in a modern industrial society where there is a very strong attitude of of sexual equality, and of course the the, the message that no means no is is very very clear, and so. Uh, what they see is that that, that in this in, in their sample at least, um, it, it, it seemed to be that the, that that the men were acquiescing to the level of, of frequency that well the 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 higher sex higher sex drive partner was acquiescing to the uh, frequency of the lower sex drive partner, which in most cases was the was the male being the higher and the female being the lower. So um, that's sort of the the background. Uh, that that I was reporting on in my blog. So that's just it, right? Is is our natural biology of each partner, and you know, cultural conditioning comes into mm-hmm. play. But right, and we could talk about those. But let's just use the example: one partner has a higher sex drive than the other. Yeah, probably pretty common. So how can those two partners begin a discussion? of wanting to have more sex in the relationship well you see that's the that's the thing that the that the researchers find when they look when when they look at an individual level um what they first of all what they found was that uh, actually the the partners that they looked at were fairly well matched in terms of of levels of sexual desire uh and uh, that that they also found that the levels of sexual desire tended to be also related in, in general to open attitudes about sexuality, including discussing sexuality. So what we're really coming down to is the issue is that that couples who do have sex frequently are also talking about sex. They're, they're, they're actually openly negotiating um, the, 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 the sexual frequency and the sexual acts that they're, and, and, and times in which they're comfortable in, in engaging in these acts. Um, but what they, what the researchers suspect were happening at, at the, with the couples who were having sex considerably less frequently is that probably what was going on is these people weren't talking about it. Uh, probably the uh, higher sex drive partner uh, was rebuffed a number of times and then just sort of gave up and let the lower sex drive partner sort of take the lead in the relationship. So in a sense, there's no negotiation that's going on. In those in those particular cases, yeah, I find it's a difficult issue in the relationship. Uh, with Sarah and I it has been in the past, and I'm sure a lot of relationships, because mm-hmm. I think Sarah would agree. I'm I'm more of the higher sex drive partner. She's nodding mm-hmm. her head, mm-hmm. and uh, and what <laughs> what has happened in yeah. the past is I would acquiesce not because Sarah's like no I just wouldn't try to initiate because I didn't want to feel 
turned down or rejected. And, and that's probably something pretty common that happens. Is that something uh, you see? And then maybe we could talk about how to deal with it. Well, yeah, I think, I think that is, is what happened. That's, that's what the uh, researchers, uh, that's the conclusion the researchers came to was to have the higher sex drive partner was just um, not uh, initiating anymore because they were afraid of rejection. And this actually kind of goes in, in both directions. You, you feel bad when you were rejected, uh, but the, the rejecting partner can also feel bad about rejecting, you know, kind of creates a, a, a tension in the relationship. And so there, there's got to be discussions about frequency of sex and what, you know, when and where and so on uh, that are part of initiating sex at that time. So you have to, you have to open up a communication about what sorts of things you are, you know, interested in, open to, uh, and so on. W- without the only discussion about sex being during the time when you're trying to initiate. So for couples who are listening, maybe they never have had this conversation before in their relationship. And so it feels overwhelming to bring up this conversation. Do you have any recommendations of where to start if it seems like a hopeless conversation? Well, uh, that's, yeah, that's a very good point. And in fact, other research shows that, that many couples do not talk about sex. It's, it's, it is something that, and I guess in our society, we have the attitude that sex is something you do, you don't talk about. I think you need to, there are a lot of things I think you need to do. First of all, you need to, be, to kind of examine your own attitudes about that. So um, you have to ask yourself if you're comfortable, regardless of whether you're the higher sex, part, higher sex drive partner or the lower sex drive partner, you should be kind of examining yourself whether you are comfortable talking about these and, and whether there are ways you could become more comfortable about talking about them, uh, about, about these issues. There are plenty of couples who do feel very open about talking about sex, and they're the ones who actually end up having more sex because they can, they can negotiate. Um, a, a compromise that's that's, that's uh, happy for both of them, but I just say kind of exploring inside your own mind what it what it is that what are the inhibitions that you have about talking about sex. Uh, sex is of the utmost importance in a marriage. It's really what defines a marriage from any uh, or or committed relationship, I should say, from any other relationship that you have. So it is something I need you need to be able to talk about. I want to highlight the importance of having the conversation outside of the times that you're trying to engage in sex, because that's often what Sarah and I found early on before we started negotiating in a more productive manner was I would initiate and Sarah wouldn't, wouldn't want to have sex. She wasn't in the mood, whatever. And then we would have the conversation. I would feel rejected and, and it, it wasn't that productive because we were both like feeling defensive and I was feeling rejected and we have all these emotions. So just picking a time, I don't know, lunchtime, most people aren't having sex around lunchtime, (laughs) (laughs) just or a time that is not normally intimate and, uh, in setting that aside and be like, Hey, let's, let's talk about sex. Yeah, exactly. Um, don't don't talk about sex in bed. Do the sex in bed, but talk about it in another location at a different time. And you also mentioned about the defensiveness. Don't do it at a time when you're defensive. Obviously, 
if you've just been rejected, you're both going to be defensive at that point. Um, and I'd also say, say kind of try to find a time when you can ease into the discussion. And if you find your partner getting really uneasy and starting to get defensive, maybe back off a little bit and approach again on a, uh, a little bit later, or maybe lighten up the conversation first and try to approach it again. If it's, if this occasion just isn't going to work, just go to back off and try it on another occasion. Uh, it can be really hard for people to overcome the the inhibitions they have about talking about sex. And so um, ch- chances are pretty good that both both members of the couple, if they're, if they're not already in the habit of talking about it, both couples are actually going to feel uncomfortable about it at the beginning. But, you know, it's like most things. They feel very uncomfortable when you think about doing them or when you first get started, but once you get into it, it's really not that bad. Can you talk a little bit about the biology and the maybe cultural impact of our sexual desires and, and maybe our expectations of the frequency? Well, yeah, a lot of things are playing into a role, uh, playing into it. First of all, there's no such thing as a, as a normal frequency. Um, we, 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 that, that should not ever come up. You shouldn't. Well, I read in a magazine somewhere that the average couple has sex once a week. So you shouldn't ask me for more often than that. Uh, you shouldn't even talk about that. I mean, certainly we can do an average. We can, you know, we can, we can ask people's sexual frequencies and calculate an average. But then you're, what you're doing is you're, you're gathering together all the numbers from people who don't have sex at all to people who have sex multiple times a day. And then that one time a week just doesn't say anything. You have to, you have to find a frequency that fits uh, that, that fits both of you. Um, t- typically, typically men ha- have a higher sex drive than women, uh, par- partially for, I would say, for social reasons, as they've been told they should be, you know, part of being a real man is being sexually active. Uh, I think part of the reason why women in our society have a lower sex drive or report a lower sex drive is because they've been taught that they shouldn't have a high sex drive. Uh, we we uh, we shame women who have high sex drives and, and are open about that. Uh, I think you know what I mean by that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so um, the, the part of it has been taught taught to them. Um, it's not always the case that men have more sex drive than women. What I've heard from marriage counselors is that when they're dealing with with uh, clients and, and by the way this is the number one issue that marriage counselors deal with um really uh, uh, or yeah pretty much the number one uh, problem and uh, uh they report that anywhere between oh a quarter and a third of the time is it's the woman who actually has a higher sex drive than the man so we have to keep that in mind uh, there there are multiple things that are going on um uh as we get older uh men start facing issues such as erectile dysfunction and uh that can that can cause anxiety and you know kind of anxiety about about initiating sex because they're not confident that they're going to be able to perform you know um, those sorts of issues um, uh, and and most of that occurs uh, most of the reason for erectile dysfunction is either uh, poor health so you haven't been taking care of yourself not eating right not getting enough uh, physical activity and some some drugs also have that effect so you need to need to be looking at those if that's the issue as we're looking at older couples of course menopause is going to be an issue uh with, with women um during the menopause period a lot of women 
tend to have a, a reduced sex drive. But at, but kind of in the postmenopause period, it depends. Some women go back uh, to their previous levels, and some sometimes women actually increase their sexual uh, desire after after menopause because there's no danger of pregnancy at that point, and they they feel much freer about expressing themselves sexually. So there's a lot of variation that's going on in that. I'm glad you pointed out, you know, the cultural implications of what men and women are told. And obviously our biology is at play too, but we had a uh, Wednesday Martin uh, who recently came out with a book, Untrue, uh, Rethinking Female Sexuality. Um, she was on uh, episode 204, but basically talking about how women have been told a certain narrative as have men based on movies and writing and articles online that aren't really backed in, in the fact that most sex researchers are, were male historically that's changing, but anyways, you know, important things to, to consider. So um, if you haven't Mm -hmm. our listeners uh, check that out, check out uh, episode 204, but it's so important to recognize culturally the narratives were told. I think it, it, it has such a huge impact on, you know, I can only speak as a, as a man, like we're supposed to be sexual and you may not even want to have sex that much, but that's what you're supposed to do. And and you don't even think about it like that because we're so imprinted culturally with these ideas. That's right. Um, uh, and that's, that's why you, you need to do some kind of you know, self-reflection. Um, Reading such as sources as you just mentioned to help you understand how these attitudes have been kind of programmed into you from a you know from a very early age, and that you don't actually have to follow the scripts that society has given to you. I'm curious, based on the research, you mentioned that the couples that were communicating about sex had closer sex drives. Is that what you said? And then. Is it the couples that were not communicating and not having as much sex were kind of more mismatched? No, that isn't what they found in this in this particular sample, at any rate. What they found was that there was a fairly good match. That is, um, if you were a, a man who wants to have sex every day, you might be uh, in a relationship with a woman who maybe doesn't want it every day, but every other day sounds pretty good to her. Uh, and then those, even there, there can be some conflicts going on. The, the one partner wants it more than the other one does. Uh, there was a, it, it's, um, what they found is what, what is in psychology called assortative mating. What it means is that we tend to find partners or we tend to select partners who are similar to us in many aspects. Uh, our religious beliefs, political beliefs, similar, uh, similar educational backgrounds, similar social backgrounds, that sort of thing. And it turns out that attitudes towards sex seem to be one of the issues that people tend to look at when they are um, developing a, a committed relationship with each other. So the, it wasn't the case that 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 that, that the people that there were people in their sample. It wasn't necessarily the case that that the people who weren't having sex very often or were having difficulties with sex were were mismatched. It really seems to be an issue of communication or lack of communication, I should say. Yeah, like a lot of relationship issues um, coming to that. It's like sometimes mm-hmm. we expect our partner to read our minds of the the frequency we want to have sex, mm-hmm. and we're upset that they're not initiating it more. When meanwhile, you've never communicated explicitly 
hey, I, I really would like it if we could have sex two times a week. It sounds a bit mm-hmm. diplomatic as far as uh, uh, it takes away from the the romance of just initiating or whatever. But the reality is to have a healthy relationship, we can't assume anything from our partners and we need to communicate directly and clearly. So literally sitting down and communicating your needs in a productive way of Mm -hmm. how often you want it, that's going to be the best path forward. Let's take a break and talk about today's sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Plan to Eat. So I am a big fan of planning out my meals in advance for the week and only having to go to the grocery store once. I have like a weird thing (laughs) about going to the grocery store more than once a week. You do. And I think it's rubbed off on me. So (laughs) I'm in the same boat, but I am horrible about organizing recipes and creating lists for the grocery store. I always end up forgetting like the crucial ingredient for whatever recipe I'm trying to make. And so we end up making like boring salads with grilled chicken. So no fun. They're all right. Sometimes. <laughs> it's okay. But for me, it's super important that Stella is introduced to a variety of flavors and foods, which means we need to start cooking a lot more and plan to eat makes it a whole lot easier to do that. Plan to eat was born from their desire to eat real and delicious food prepared at home. Plan to eat is a tool to help you prepare delicious wholesome food that nourishes both body and soul. So here is how it works. And I just gave Chase the whole demonstration and he is super stoked. So (laughs) plan to eat is a subscription service that gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website. I just showed him how I clipped from like multiple websites create a meal plan, and then their software automatically creates and organizes a shopping list based on your plan. And like I just mentioned, I just added my favorite Kenyan braised beef recipe, which is so good. And I literally copy and pasted the URL and it turned it into a perfect grocery list. And it was super pretty because it's formatted like by each area in the grocery store of what you need to get. And so I am super stoked to use it. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, just like the technology or whatever's going on with the algorithm. I just don't even know what that is. It's amazing. (laughs) How it does that. And with your subscription, you can access your meal plans and shopping lists on your desktop and their mobile app. And they have a full-time support team to help you get started and answer any questions that you may have. Plan to Eat offers monthly and yearly options for $4.95 a month or $39 a year. That's only 75 cents a week. Whoa. Less than a dollar. Less than a dollar, people. If you didn't know what 75 <laughs> cents was. And they also include a free, fully functional 30-day trial with no payment required so you can easily see if it's right for you. Plan to Eat only has one big sale per year, but if you visit plantoeat.com slash I do, you can start a 60-day trial instead of their normal 30-day trial. For free. For free. So (laughs) check it out. We know it will make your life a lot easier like it has for mine. So visit plantoeat.com slash I do to start your free 60-day trial. Today's episode is also brought to you by The Pill Club. If you're on birth control, remembering to take your pill is already enough work. 
I remember I would always mess mine up every month. And that's why we have a four-year-old. <laughs> and that's why we have a four-year-old. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so going back to that, remembering to take it, going to the doctors to get a refill and picking up the pharmacy is a huge pain. And Pill Club wants to take the work out of taking care of yourself. Pill Club is a birth control subscription that is delivered straight to your door. And most prescriptions are free with insurance or Medicaid. And without insurance, they can be as low as $3.99 a month. Shipping is always free and discreet. And Pill Club schedules deliveries so that you always have your next dose on hand before you need it. So skip the office visit and the line at the pharmacy and join the club. Right now, when you go to thepillclub.com slash I do, they're offering our listeners a new way to get birth control and special care package with every delivery. That's thepillclub.com slash I do to get your first birth control care package. Remember, thepillclub.com slash I do. Right. Right. Yeah, you 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 mentioned something here, which is another one of those cultural scripts that we you've accepted. And you said it doesn't sound very romantic if you're scheduling sex. Um, but that's that's part of the part of the issue here is that that we have this kind of idea that sex is supposed to happen spontaneously. And there's gonna be this moment when both of you just want it right then, and you know you both want it, and that's the way sex is always supposed to be. That's the way it's represented in movies, for example. And when you're first when you're first get, um, in a first date and get first getting into your relationship, oftentimes you do have those sort of spontaneous moments when both of you are in the mood right then and you really want to do it. Um, but that that sort of initial passion does die down in a long-term relationship. We have to recognize that fact that that, that sort of passion isn't always going to be there. Uh, but you can still have a very meaningful um, sexual relationship with your partner so long as you're communicating about what your needs and, and desires are and listening, not to not just telling your partner what you want, but also listening to your partner, what their needs are. I think that kind of goes along the lines of some, something that Chase and I would struggle with would be that we would communicate mm-hmm. what we wanted sexually and it would be really good for a while. And then slowly things would start to diminish down And I'm sure that happens with a lot of couples because when you take the attention or the focus away from it, it starts to go away. And so I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, do you have any advice for the best ways to navigate that in terms of, you know, maybe it's just setting up a communication once a month or, you know, every couple months to make sure that it's a a focus on the relationship? Yeah, uh uh-huh. Um, I, I think that if you kind of get into the habit of talking about about sex with your partner, it gets it, it should get easier, um, and and you you can see that you can you can make you know you you can you can communicate with each other when when the, when the need arises. But yeah, I think it might not be a bad idea to even just uh, to schedule times when you're just going to talk about it. Sure, um, in a long term relationship, you've got to find ways of of kind of managing all the things that you're going to do. I mean. Sex is a very important part of the relationship, but you can have other things. You got kids that you have to take care of and jobs and so on. Um, we schedule our jobs. We schedule the things that we do with our kids. Sure, we should be scheduling uh, our intimate time and our discussions about our intimacy needs as well. Absolutely. Put it on a shared calendar. 
And, and I, I'm not kidding. Like, <laughs> literally, put it on the calendar uh-huh. and for the talk. Not, yeah. you know, and then after you have the talk, you, perhaps if you have a really busy life, you can, yeah. or even if you don't, put the sex on the calendar. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, culturally, like you said, we're told spontaneous, mm-hmm. you know, go on a date. And unfortunately, life doesn't work that way all the time. So, um, there's nothing wrong with that in, in really just having that open, mm-hmm. That's right. clear communication. Do you have mm-hmm. any interest or read any research in our evolutionary need for variety and multiple partners to perhaps keep the novelty and interest in a long-term relationship or versus uh, yeah. monogamy? Sure, sure. Um, uh, well, what you're getting at is you're, you're asking a question of, of what sort of um, relationships, lifestyle that humans evolved to have versus what we have in contemporary society. And if, if we look at hunter-gatherer societies, which is where we all came from originally, what, what we see is, is a mixture of short and long-term relationships. Um, you don't necessarily see long, uh, you don't necessarily see lifelong monogamy. I mean, it does happen. Sometimes couples fall in love with each other and really do want to stay with each other for the rest of their lives. But you see a sort of a, sort of a serial monogamy um, with occasional other um, uh, short-term partners. Uh, that, that sort of, that, that tends to be the, the, the pattern that we see in undergathered societies. Um, in, in modern society, um, we, we still have this, uh, we, we haven't, well, actually in modern society, we have sort of gone back to serial monogamy because uh, half of, after all, half of all marriages end in divorce and those people tend to remarry. So that's basically what's, what's happening. Uh, but we seem to have this attitude that lifelong monogamy is the natural relationship style for humans. And it's not. And we need to recognize that it's a it's a culturally imposed relationship style, um, and it, it and if we want to make lifelong monogamy work, then we have to approach it as as a kind of a lifelong project that we need to work on, and not just assume that this is the natural style and we don't need to work on it. Um, you mentioned the idea of variety. That's why you have to have more variety within within the things that you do and uh, in your relationship and the and uh, you know uh, a- adding different kind of kind of changes to your lifestyle you know weekend getaways and things like that where you can act differently from 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 normal life. There is definitely going to be an issue of this this need for variety. Now, also, maybe also I want to add in the, the issue of, uh, of of fantasy in in our sex lives. Um, some people have the attitude, well, if you're not, if you're not thinking about me while we're having sex, then, then I don't want to be part of it. Uh, but you know, maybe you should allow your partner to, to fantasize on occasion, as opposed to having them actually straying from you. We could have a whole series of podcasts dedicated to, uh, this research and, and information. I think it's fascinating uh-huh. because yeah. it's, it's an area, obviously, relationships are a huge part of our lives, everyone's lives, hopefully. And we tend to not question 
the things we do when it comes to everything, you know, communicating about sex and and mm-hmm. just question the format, the container of relationships being that, let's say, monogamy. That is the culturally accepted way to be with a person, uh, mm-hmm. r- romantically and sexually. And because it's such a part of our upbringing and our culture, and we don't really think about it. I didn't think about it until I think just after college. And I was an anthropology major. I'm studying like hunter-gatherer societies and and I'm learning about like right, okay. in, in, mm-hmm. in Nepal and the Himalayas, uh, women have multiple husbands because they're, they right, live in, uh-huh. in very remote locations. So in order to like basically resupply the family and the household, the men have to rotate mm-hmm. in and, and bring, you know, food. And, and so right. those wives actually have multiple husbands. And, and so in that culture, yeah, they, they tend to be brothers. So we should oh, actually they? emphasize that they tend to be brothers. Very yeah. cool. Wow. I, I didn't know that part. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Because it's the, it's the, it's the brothers who have the family, uh, ranch, I guess, what you call there. It's a herding society. And so you need the men to herd the, 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 whatever animals it is they're herding. Uh, and the, and the woman is brought into that remote location and they share it among the brothers. Um, and, and, and that means that, that, that whoever, whoever is, whoever actually fathers the, each individual child, there's still quite a bit of genes that are being shared there. So it's not like you're competing with men who don't have any genes uh, similar to yours. It's all, it's all being kept in the family. Very cool. So we won't talk about yeah. sperm selection <laughs> in, in that whole theory. Yeah. No, 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 that actually doesn't, no, that would, that would be pretty, that, that, that could uh, cause quite a lot of conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, thank uh, you for sharing that. I didn't know the brothers, but that's just, sure. I love that example because it shows how culturally, like that's what worked and, and, and logistically. Mm-hmm. And so that's the format that is accepted in that area. Yeah. And we have this format of monogamy that arose from farming and land rights. And, right. And mm-hmm. now we come 10,000 years later uh, from you know, the advent of farming, more or less. And mm-hmm. we don't really question the modern evolution of it. And, and like you said, a lot of those monogamous pairings are actually serial monogamy and they're not working. So again, I'm not sitting here and saying that there's a better way necessarily, but just to mm-hmm. think about the other ways, or th- it, it could be as simple as being okay with your partner fantasizing about another person, because in a lot of monogamous relationships, that might be considered cheating. You might as well be cheating if you're thinking about <laughs> someone else, right? Uh-huh. Well, that's, that's, what's, that's, the attitude some people would have about it. Uh, it's this attitude that once we get married or once we're in a committed relationship, you should want me and only me and not think about anybody else. Well, that's not going to be the case. You're going to be attracted to other people. Your partner's going to be attracted to other people. You should simply be open about it. Um, just to certainly simply accept that, that aspect of us as humans that we are sexually attracted to multiple people because that's, that's the way we're designed. Uh, and what we're trying to do is work our biology into a a, a system um, that our society has set up 
Uh, and so, what um, in that system really conflicts with our biology a lot. So we really have to be open about it and think about ways that we can accommodate our biological needs while also meeting the, the requirements of our society. I think just that realization is good. You're not mm -hmm. preaching that people need to be a certain way, but it's just enlighten yourselves, you know, read a little bit more. It might right. just make you feel better yeah. about yourself and not feeling guilty for desiring another man sexually outside of your husband because you see him and, and you're attracted to him. I think we're taught that that's mm -hmm. a that's a sinful thing. That's a bad thing. Don't let your eyes wander. These kind of right. things, and it's just counter to uh, our biology. Yes. Right, l l lusting in your heart. That sort of uh, yeah, those sort of expressions. Right, as if that that is just as bad as as cheating. And I think we need to get over that that issue um, and, and understand that no, no, that that's there's nothing wrong with it. That's natural. Um, you shouldn't feel guilty about feeling attractions to other people. And I'm sure that that guilt and that shame carries over into a relationship, especially if you don't feel like you can communicate about it with your partner. Well, that's right. Uh, um, I, 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 yes. It, these attitudes that we have about, about how a marriage is supposed to be and how our sexuality is supposed to be really do lead people to experiencing high levels of guilt. Um, and they're feeling guilt about things that they have no control over and, and actually are quite natural. And do you see this changing? Because personally, obviously, Sarah and I are very involved in the relationship information world, if you want to call it that. And mm -hmm. it seems like there's a lot of podcasts and books being written about things like open marriage, polyamory, and that information is being more widely distributed than ever. It's been around for a while, but and there's been right. more research. What are you seeing on your end? Well, I, uh, yeah, there's a lot of information out there, uh, but, but people have to access the information. Um, if you have very strong inhibitions about, about sexuality, um, then you may not even be looking for that information online. The people who are looking, looking for that information are the ones who are recognizing that there's, something not quite right in their lives or their relationships and want to, to get more information about how to make it better. So certainly there's a lot more information about out there. I also suspect that the younger generation, um, the, 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 the people just now coming into sexual maturity are in many ways far more informed than previous generations were about sexuality. And, and so I, I kind of I get a sense that there's a lot more openness to um, sexual varieties, uh, say sexual orientations, um, sexual styles, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and so I think uh, I think the information is getting out there, but it may be a very slow change in our society that might take generations. And if I think about it that way, I think. It already has been several generations of slow change in our society. Um, certainly, my grandparents would never have considered divorce. Right, marriage is a, a you know life lifelong commitment. Um, by my parents' generation, 
divorce was still very rare and scandalous when it occurred uh, in my generation. Um, and I'm in my 50s, to give you a sense of what I'm talking about here. Um, divorce, a divorce is not uncommon and it's not scandalous. Uh, we'll see what's happening in and, and actually in, in kind of the up and coming generation. If I think about my children's age, are like in their 20s now. Uh, you see you, you see people in this generation are are postponing marriage or, or, or maybe not even getting married at all. They're, they're, they're entering into committed relationships, uh, but they're not necessarily getting married. So we do see a change that's going on here in terms of sexual attitudes, but it's slow. Are we evolving into where we evolved from? <laughs> seems well, like I, that's I wouldn't, happening. I wouldn't use the word evolve in this case. Um, Cause it's certainly not, it's not natural selection that's happening. Um, what what I think is happening is is that we are I, I, we are going back to our our natural sexual state. I, I think that's what you're trying to get at. Um, while we were while we were an agricultural society and everybody was tied to the land, um, lifelong monogamy uh, was necessary in order to to keep prop, you know property rights and so on uh, together. Um, it, it, you, you needed to have that sort of stability. And by the way, we should also kind of keep this in mind because even this is true even today is that when we were talking about marriage and the, the kind of a marriage that you, that developed um, in agricultural societies, we we're really talking about an economic arrangement. Um, and, and that, that's really what it was and, and actually what it still is today. It marriage is still an economic arrangement. Um, you, you you get all sorts of tax breaks. Um, you report your taxes as a couple, oh, but only if you're married. If you're cohabiting, even if you've been cohabiting for years, you're in, but you're not married, you're going to be reporting your taxes separately. You're not going to be getting tax breaks and so on for being married. Uh, so it is still an economic relationship on top of being a sexual relationship. And other things too, parental relationship. It's a it's a many faceted relationship, I guess we should we should say, uh, and all those things come into play in marriage. I think the the intersection of culture and biology is fascinating, not just in sexuality, but mm -hmm. in, in nutrition, and and we'll have to have you back on, and we could just dedicate a whole show to talking about the, our evolution of sexuality and, and culture. I think it's really interesting. Sure. We'll have to do that. And uh, last thing before we wrap up is related to that is, is you mentioned mm -hmm. going back to rather than evolving to, you see that with like the paleo diet and, and basically yeah. us realizing we need to get away from the processed foods and, and get back to the way we evolved to eat. And that has a lot of, I'm not saying paleo, but just eating things that grow from the ground and walk or swim, you know, right. whole foods. And that has right. good health benefits because that's where we evolve from. It's a little mm -hmm. bit harder with relationships mm -hmm. and sexuality, figuring out exactly what was going on. But with research that you're doing and, and others, we're getting a better mm -hmm. idea of what works and doesn't work. And then looking to the past and then forming a better way forward is really um, what we want to be doing. I think that's absolutely correct. Well, Dr. Ludden, 
Thanks again for all this great information. I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about uh, the evolution of sexuality a little bit at the end here and um, mm -hmm. at the start with negotiating frequency of sex. Sarah and I have definitely benefited by having those open communications and we encourage our listeners to do that as well. Um, before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online and then we'll say goodbye? Sure. Um, I am. Um... I'm the author of the blog Talking Apes on Psychology Today. Uh, so you just visit psychologytoday.com and you can search my name, David Ludden, and you can find my blog where I talk about many of these issues. Uh, one of the main themes in my blog is about communication in relationships. That's why I have a number of blog posts on topics related to this. Excellent. Well, we'll have those links on your show notes page on idopodcast.com. And mm -hmm. again, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Hi guys, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, all the links are in the show notes page, as well as on the podcast description. And while you're on our website, we encourage you guys to check out our 14 day happy couple challenge. We send you an email for 14 days with simple, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And on our website, we also have a bunch of free resources for your relationship. So we encourage you to check those out. Uh, we also have our love tribe on Facebook. Uh, we encourage you guys to join the tribe and uh, be there for support for each other. If you have questions or just need some relationship advice, we are all here for each other. Um, the group has grown to almost a thousand people um, and we love it. So we hope you guys join that. You can go to Facebook, Love Tribe Fam, and you'll find us right there. And if you are interested in learning more about our flagship course, Spark My Relationship, we hope you guys check it out. We have a special offer that is only for podcast listeners. So you can go to sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock and you can unlock that special offer and learn more as always thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week